We only have a couple more weeks here in the gym as uh, right now pews are being installed in the sanctuary. And I uh, checked it out and sure enough, uh, I checked out the pew. They're very comfortable. They easily sleep eight people per. Very, very comfortable. Um, It is very exciting. So whether or not you love being in the gym or you're ready to be back in the sanctuary, it's it's on its way. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. This is the word of the Lord. It's uh, interesting for me, like many of you, for Father's Day, I've been thinking a lot about my father, a lot about my grandfather. I've been blessed by having a a wonderful father and and a wonderful grandfather. Uh, My grandfather passed away uh, when I was in college, a freshman in college. His name is Thurman, and um, he's a wonderful person, lived in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And it's funny the things I think about when I think about him. It's not like the obvious things. It's... uh, how he loved burnt cookies. My grandmother, he would want the cookies so crispy they would have to be burnt. And I remember that. My grandmother would have to make a batch for us and a batch for him and just keep it in the oven much longer. I remember how he would always walk around the house and whistle and hum at the same time. (laughs) Who else does that? I remember how when he yawned, he would shake his legs. Um... I would watch him sing. He sang in the choir, and he would have these two flaps of skin in between, uh, around his Adam's apple, and he would sing, and Adam's apple would go up and down <laughs> like a yo-yo. I remember these things. Uh, he would always ask me to come back to his, the, his, his little office in the back of the house, and he would, he would tell me these stories. He was a genealogist, so he was really into last names. Anytime we would go to the grocery store, he would always meet people and ask them to spell their last name which really freaked him out, right? (laughs) Oh, your name is what? Could you spell that for me? Because, but he was curious about language, where they come from. Uh, He would, but he would invite me into his office and he would tell really long stories about our family heritage or about his experience in the Korean War. And at that age, I was extremely young, I would just, please make this end. You know, he would go on forever and ever. And it's funny now, you know, what I would give, you know, to sit back in his office with him one more time. Our last conversation we had in that office, even in my kind of adolescent mindset, even though I was in college, I I remember it and going, okay, this is going, this needs to be something I carry with me. And it was a conversation. He said, uh, Mark, a, a man... Uh, it's going to have a lot of things that are going to come and go in his life, but one thing he will have forever is his name, Live Well. And, uh, you know, for me, I just remember that and go, okay. You know, and for him, he was a wonderful, beautiful man. He was a principal of an elementary school, and he was dedicated to his church, a wonderful grandfather, wonderful father. He left a great name. And um, I'll always carry that with me. And, you know, that is really... uh, important for us, but even as Christians, the power of a name, it goes deep into who we are and what we believe. It goes, really goes down to the root of who we are and what we believe. Um, 
One of the most powerful characteristics that we know of God is this word, immutability, uh, which means that God is the same for all time. Same, the God who was yesterday is the same today and will be the same tomorrow. This doesn't mean that God is not emotive or has affections, that God is he's moved, but his character doesn't change. And one of the ways in which that is expressed is by God's name, that God is who he says he is all throughout time. Moses had a unique experience of this. Moses, after murdering someone, went off into the desert, and then God interrupted his life story and showed up in a unique way and called him to go back to where he came from and uh, to send him back for a unique task. Moses, filled with fear, he asked for one thing. Out of everything, he asked for one thing. He said, who shall I say sent me? And God declared God's name in a unique way. I am who I am. That is my name, Yahweh. Interesting, and, and if you actually study the, the Hebrew around that, you don't know what tense those verbs are, are because the, the language was different. They didn't have vowels, and which vowels in their language tells their tense, past, present, future kind of tense. So I am who I am might also mean I was who I was. I will be who I will be. Can you imagine Moses saying, who shall I say sent me? And perhaps God said, you want to know my name? I will be who I will be. Now go back and free my people. God wanted for Moses to experience his name, not merely just know it, but actually put his trust in his name, to put his, his faith into his name. And Moses did that. He went back to, uh, to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in that region, armed with the power of God's name, and that's about it. And a staff that could turn into a snake, which is pretty cool. But he went back, and he was faithful to trust that God will be who God will be. That's his name. Okay, I'll, I'll put my trust and my faith into it. And Pharaoh, actually through the plagues, had released God's people. And God, God's master plan had them march straight to a sea so that they would understand that God will be who God will be. The seas parted. The people crossed. The sea swept away their enemies. And on the other side of the sea, this is where we get this passage, the one that we read from, this beautiful song. Then Moses and the Israelites, they sang this song to the Lord. After experiencing God in a profound way, they burst it into song. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exhausted. The horse and the rider has, he has hurled into the sea. He goes on to say, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. The, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. God's name was displayed through who he was going to be. And in this, the people stop and go, ah, who he will be will be a warrior. He will fight for his people. He will not leave us alone. He will show up, and he will fight for us. God was his name, and God still is his name. There's power not only knowing of God's name, but experiencing God's name. That is the call for us as people to trust and to hope that God will show up and be who he will be. Over and over again, as we look through the Old Testament, this is, this is what happened. God would call people into action. They, they would live it out, and then on the outside, they would 
declare who God was. I just want to show a couple of experiences of how they responded by declaring God's unique name in their life. Jehovah Nisi, my Lord the banner. Uh, when Israel, when Israel was in, at war against the Amalekites, they would begin to struggle, and then they would remember who God was and look towards him like a banner. They declared that the Lord was their banner, and the thing that they looked to gave them courage to win the battle. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. David had experienced what it meant that God was going to lead him and protect him, care for him, direct his path, just like a good shepherd. So on the outside of it, this is what David was able to declare, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is something that is experienced. You know God's name through experience. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. As the Hebrew nation was wandering through the desert, they became thirsty like you would in a desert. They came up to a body of water with excitement. They tasted it and it was extremely bitter and hard to drink and began to grumble. God told Moses to pick up a piece of wood, and throw it in the water, and immediately the water became sweet to drink. Almost to say, be careful of this bitter water, just like your hearts and minds might be bitter. But don't worry, God heals. And so they were able to declare, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. One of the most gut-wrenching stories in our scripture, Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham was called by God. This is a great message for Father's Day. When Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son, they're, they're at the base of this, this hill, and the servant was there, and Abraham looked at the servant and said, the boy and I are going to go worship God, and he walked up to the hill carrying the wood. And Isaac, and this is the most, uh, this line right here always gets me, when Isaac looked at, at his father and said, the fire and the wood are here, but, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham was able to say, Jehovah Jireh, God, my God provides. And even though he believed in it, he still was sent into action. And there at the right moment, God did provide. And he was able to worship God's name, Jehovah Jireh, my Lord provides. This is what happens when people trust in God. God shows up and declares who he is in our life. And we have this opportunity to experience the power of God's name if we are people who are trust. So if you were to I would just call a timeout, everything would freeze, and you were to play through your mind, your own life experiences, what has God's name been for you? Where has God brought you? What has God done for you? What has God provided? Who has God been for you? Have you experienced God's name? When people experience God's name, something profound happens. They are transformed. They are, they are made new. They're made different. They're redeemed and restored. Oftentimes, people would receive a new name just from experiencing God's name. You know, from uh, Sarah became Sarah. Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Saul became Paul. This is why I think Paul uh, wrote in all of his epistles over and over again, especially in the, in the book of Corinthians, which was known to be somewhat of a detestable people, over and over again, he claimed them, dear saints, this is your name because you have experienced the power of God's name. Over and over again. Yet this is somewhat hard for us to believe. We have a hard time believing that by experiencing God's name is that perhaps we've been changed. We could be made new. But this is where grace comes in. 
for us to know and to experience God's name in a new way. One of my favorite authors is a woman named Flannery O'Connor. She wrote, she grew up in Savannah, Georgia. She wrote in the 1950s, 60s, and I think maybe 70s. She wrote uh, about the Christ-haunted South, about how, uh, how Christ was just, uh, just very odd short stories that many times ended tragically. He wrote, but she had such beautiful uh, use of imagery, and uh, it was just very, very striking and very funny. One of her last stories was a short story called Parker's Back, and has to do with the power of a name. The main character is this guy by the name of O.E. Parker. He never shared what his name was, other than the time where he enlisted into the army. And the reason why he enlisted into the army is that his mom forced him to go to a revival the night before. And so he lied about his age and he enlisted right after that. He wanted nothing to do with it. O.E. Parker was, uh, he was a troubled soul. At the young age, he went to the circus and found himself into the freak show tent and saw a man covered in tattoos from head to toe. And something about that struck him at his core. So later on in his life, he would get a lot of tattoos. He married a woman named Sarah Ruth Cates. She was a judgmental, bony character. Her face so tightly around her face, it looked like an onion around the, the rest of an onion, just tightly bound around her face. Uh, she was the image of being judgmental. She was the image of the law. Uh, this is how Flannery O'Connor described her through O.E. Parker's words. She did not smoke or dip or drink whiskey, use bad language, or paint her face. And God knew that some paint would have improved it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Looking for grace, O.E. Parker would go and get tattoos. He would perpetually try to cover up more and more of himself which is just an image in itself. He perpetually tried to cover up more and more of himself. The experience would be uh, effectual for a while. It would immediately satisfy, but then a growing sense of dissatisfaction would come over him, and he would find another place on his body to tattoo, another space to fill up, yet never on his back. What's the point of a tattoo if you can't admire it, right? One day he was hard at work at an old woman's farm driving a tractor, and he was going around and around this beautiful oak tree and as he was going around and around, the sun was in front of him and then behind them and in front of him and behind him, almost like it was encircling him. And as he got closer to this oak tree, it almost looked like a cross and began to reach out to him. He hit the tractor on the oak tree and it exploded. He found himself uh, thrown from the tractor and his shoes were knocked off from him. And he stood there barefoot, almost as if he was on holy ground. From this experience, he... He had just a spiritual awakening, and he had this just odd desire to go and get one more tattoo. And he wanted to get the tattoo of God himself stretched across his back. So he thumbed through the, have you ever been in a tattoo parlor? Uh, I'm not saying I have. But if you thumb through a book, you see all the different tattoos. And he found one of a Byzantine Christ that, has, that had all demanding eyes. And he said, that's the one I want, as, as large as you can across my back. He was so excited about, uh, uh, about the day in which he'd be able to share it with his judgmental religious wife, thinking that somehow she wouldn't be able to speak against Christ, right? Uh, and as this tattoo was being embedded into his back, he was being brought to life by a subtle power. That's how Flannery O'Connor described him. Going home, 
He thought his wife would understand the significance of this tattoo. But to his surprise, the old woman had already come to her home and told her what happened. And she had locked him out of the house. So he was outside banging on the door. And if I could read from this passage here. As he banged on the door, a sharp voice close to the door said, Who's there? Me, Parker said. O.E. He waited a moment. Me, O.E. Still no sound from the inside. He tried once more. O.E. Banging the door two or three more times. O.E. Parker, you know me. There was silence. Then the voice said slowly, I don't know, no, O.E. Quit fooling. You ain't got any business doing me this way. It's me, an old E. I'm back and you ain't afraid of me. Who's there? The same unfeeling voice said. Parker turned his face as if he had expected someone behind him to give him the answer. The sky had lightened slightly and there was two or three streaks of yellow floating above from the horizon. Then as he stood there, a tree of light bursted over the skyline. Notice the use of trees. Parker fell back against the door as if he had been pinned there by a lance. Who's there, the voice from the inside said, and there was a quality about it now that seemed final. The knob rattled, and the voice said again, Who's there, I ask you? Parker bent down and put his mouth near the stuffed keyhole. Obadiah, he whispered, and all at once he felt light pouring through him, turning his spiderweb soul into a perfect arabesque of colors, a garden of trees and birds and beasts. Obadiah Elihu, he whispered. In experience of grace, he was able to declare who he was, who he truly was. The story becomes tragic, though, as his wife finally lets him in, and he takes off his shirt to show show her his back. She called it blasphemy and idolatry and grabbed a broomstick and beat his back over and over and over again, not really knowing that she was just becoming, uh, she was beating the face of Christ, and welts began to form all over his back. His back began to bleed. The story ends with Obadiah Elihu out in the front porch, in the front yard, I mean, uh, with the door shut all by himself, leaning against the tree and crying like a baby. It's interesting for him and his experience of, of this incredible grace there comes a force against people to not truly be able to claim who they are in a new way. For Obadiah Elihu, he had a, this voice of law and judgment that came against him and said, but who are you really? For him, he became to this place where he was able to say who he truly was. The word Obadiah, interestingly, not by accident, means servant of God. And Elihu means He is my God. Almost to say that this person's true identity is, he is my God and I am his servant. That's what happens when there's unity with Christ. We're giving a a unique name after we experience the power of God's name in our life. Are we willing to believe that we indeed can experience God's name in our life now and be formed by it? This past week, I was a leader at VBS. I was with Dylan's crew. Rex, you were there. And uh, we had this just an awesome time. And you know how it is when you are with little kids, little 
moments of power and wisdom and grace can happen if your eyes are open and your ears are open to it, right? So I'm sitting there with my crew right here, and we are given little memory verses. And this is one of the verses for this week. I have called you by name. You are mine. I have called you by name. You are mine. This was meant for little kids to have and put in their pocket. And don't you know, I, I grabbed it and I thought to myself, this is mine. <laughs> this, this is, I hope that these kids are getting something from it because, wow. To believe that God actually calls you by name and claims you as his own. This was what this is all about. And this is, my friends, this is where it's beautiful. Is that God declaring who's God's name throughout all of time. It culminates ultimately in the day in which God sent his son into this world. And God didn't send his son in this world just to be named by any name, but said, you shall call him Jesus. Yeshua. Yahweh who saves. I am the Savior. I am your Savior. To experience God's name for us here and now means for us to plus place our trust and our hope and our belief in God's name, that God indeed is our Savior. God's your Savior. God's my Savior. It's the world's Savior. This is what it means for us to trust and experience in the power of God's name. He is who saves. That at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow on heaven and on earth and under earth, under the power of one name. But the beautiful is that this person, this name, comes to us not in booming power, but in a voice of grace saying, you are mine. I claim you as my beloved. That is your name because this is my name. My encouragement for you guys is to, to grow in your trust who God is, to trust in the name of Jesus in your life, that he saves us, he saves you, to place your trust in it, to experience it, and perhaps what will happen is you're going to discover who you are as well. Amen.